these apparently little problems and omissions, they accumulate to something really, you know, big and difficult when it comes to analyzing the data. We've been banging the drum about transparency of payments to doctors for years. We've even put a moratorium on financial conflicts of interest in the authors of our education and some editorial articles. Not because we think that all doctors who receive money from industry are being influenced to push the industry's agenda, but because we have no way of telling when that's happening. At the same time, and rightly, patient groups are becoming more and more involved in setting things like research priorities and in guideline development. And we're campaigning to increase that involvement because we think that's the right thing to do. But as that involvement increases, it's also important to make sure that industry influence isn't being slipped into the process through that route. The first step in that is measurement. And that's where a new analysis published on bmj.com comes in. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ. And earlier I talked to one of the authors about their findings. Piotr Ozierenski is an assistant professor at the Department of Social and Policy Sciences at the University of Bath. And he and his colleagues have been trying to build up a picture of industry payments to patient groups. Pieter, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Duncan. This is a fascinating uh, analysis here, and I can tell there was an enormous amount of work that went into it, um, trolling databases, pulling together all this data. Uh, but before we get into you know what you've done and and how you uh, how you did that, what you found, what started you on this journey? What made you you know, think, oh, this is something, this this funding relationship between pharmaceutical companies and patient groups is something that I want to uh, investigate. Historically, there, you know, in the published literature, there have been concerns about um, about funding received uh, by patient groups from the industry, and as a matter of fact, earlier this year, I think it was in January or in February. The BMJ published a, a seminal paper uh, about uh, patient groups who con- uh, who contribute to nice appraisals, and one of the key findings from this piece was that they are not always entirely transparent about how they disclose um, payments they receive from from the industry. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what we have in so what we had in mind when we kind of when we're familiarizing ourselves with. Uh, with disclosures of payments made by drug companies was, um, you know, what, what's the big picture and, uh, you know, what what uses could we make from this data, what practical uses could we make from this data if we were thinking about, uh, you know, people who deal with patient groups um, in, you know, in a policy or research capacity. Mm. Now, in the UK, um, there is a register where pharmaceutical companies um, have the option to uh, register payments that go to doctors. And we've written about that in the past in the BMJ. 
Was the data that you were collecting together in this analysis, was that all sort of put into one place um, where it was fairly simple to find? Uh, well, I, I think that was quite the opposite. So <laughs> what happened was, so so what, what, what you were describing in your question was the Disclosure UK database. So these payments are made to healthcare professionals and healthcare organisations. And nominally, this database excludes uh, payments to patient groups. So this is so payments to patient groups are covered by a separate uh, disclosure system, which was put in place in 2012 by FPA, which is the European Pharmaceutical Industry Trade Group. And what this uh, what this um, code of conduct involves is that um, companies are invited to disclose their payments. They are expected to provide uh, some information about these payments and this information should be comprehensible to a lay person so that they can make sense of what it is that was funded Mm -hmm. through these payments, Uh, obviously the the amount of payments and obviously the recipients. However, what's really tricky and what was difficult for us was that it is a very, very uh, fragmented uh, disclosure system. So, so payment reports m- made by drug companies are put on their uh, individual websites. Some companies had their disclosure reports, other didn't have them. So, the, the, so the, a key difficulty uh, that we had was, uh, you know, whether no payments had been made or perhaps there had been some payments, but they, they hadn't been reported properly. So that was a, a first difficulty that, that we faced. And we, uh, we allude to this in the paper. Now, there are other practical difficulties as well, uh, which uh, were related to different formats of the reports that were published by drug companies. So uh, what I have in mind here is, uh, is for example, that um, you know some, some reports were published as PDF documents, others were published as Word documents, there were also Excel uh, files. And and interestingly, a few companies uh, said that they had actually disclosed their payments to patient organizations in the Disclosure UK database, which is supposed to cover only payments to healthcare Mm. organizations and professionals. So these were, you know, some of the practical difficulties. You know, these were probably, you know, very simple omissions or delays. You know, we we are all human. But when you're trying to uh, come up with a big picture of payment, these apparently little problem and omissions and and problems with oversight, they accumulate to something really, you know, big and difficult when it comes to analyzing the data. Yeah, so what you're sort of sketching there is a picture where there's just a lack of consistency um, around naming conventions and where data should live, Uh, a lack of transparency as well, things being in the wrong place or or not put up at all. Um, So it's a really kind of murky picture of of how much uh, money is, is being transferred from... pharma to to patient groups uh do you feel like you've got a sort of comprehensive 
handle on that now or do you think there's still a lot of uncertainty there? You know, in all honesty, we, we were as comprehensive as we, you know, as we could have been. And I really must uh, thank Emily for, for doing that. So we, uh, so this is a very, I think what we arrived at is a very um, comprehensive picture of the UK pharmaceutical field and how it relates to patient groups. Uh, but obviously, there might be companies who are not ABPI members and who are not um, who are not participating in Disclosure UK, which we haven't captured. Uh, there are also medical device manufacturers, and we, which we didn't cover. And this is a, a big area of silence, really, because as we all know, medical devices are increasingly important in in field such as cardiology, for example. So, mm. uh, so future research uh, could consider that. But as far as I'm aware, there are no uh, regulations on this side of, of, of the um, sort of um, of the um, corporate field in, in the health sector. So, um, so yes, and uh, yes, so some you know some reports could could have been delayed um, or missing for some you know very simple reasons. Um, Yes, so this is, um, you know, we, we did our best. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well done, because it does look like a, a huge amount of work in there. Um, and so what you've done is you've documented this, these payments, and uh, it looks like there was about, what, £57 million? Pounds? Indeed. Um, that was uh, transferred across. And I think people should go and have a look at your paper because uh, uh, all the data is in there and uh, that's definitely the place, best place to take that all in. Um, but kind of looking at it overall, uh, I just wondered, what does this tell you? Kind of, Are we able to discern any patterns about, you know, what is it that pharmaceutical companies are giving these patient groups money for is it research or is it for i don't know education or outreach or you know did you were you able to discern any sort of patterns around that uh yes so i, I think we we had uh some pretty interesting findings around that so what we found was that overall drug companies were far more interested in funding uh, activities pa patient group activities related to uh uh, advocacy, uh, policy engagement, um, lobbying, things like that, and also research. But on the other end of the spectrum, we had activities such as uh, patient support or organizational maintenance, which received very, uh, very little funding. Now, there are two ways to interpret that. So one, one way would be to say that, okay, you know, these patient groups or the patient group field in the UK has matured and they are now much more interested and involved in in reaching external audiences and engaging with them. But uh, perhaps a more sympathetic interpretation would be that actually, you know, these are the types of activities that uh, drug companies can can benefit from. But um, obviously, we are dealing with uh, with a very, uh, you know, uh, with the with the big picture here. You know, what we don't know what the mechanisms of spending the money are. 
and to what extent drug companies can actually be involved in directing how how patient groups spend the money, so whether there are any strings attached. So it seems here, across the board, it's been really hard to investigate and to to really build up a proper picture of um, how much money is being transferred, what is being transferred for, um, if there are any conditions tied to that transfer. Uh, So ultimately, what is the money being used for uh, at the end of the day? For patient groups to hear this might be, uh, it might sound quite harsh and they might feel um, attacked. And I I don't think there's any um, indication in your data that patient groups are taking money and uh, behaving badly with it. But that's a concern that some people have, that, that either companies are you know, subverting patient groups or potentially doing what's called astroturfing. And I wonder if you could just explain for us what astroturfing is. Uh, yes, but if I may, before I answer your question, I would like to really to make one point as clearly as I can. So um, we are not saying in any way that, you know, there is anything improper about receiving or accepting money from, from the industry. And actually, you know, we need to remember about the broader context of patient group funding funding provided by NHS England or the Department of Health has been declining historically and we are aware of that. If patient organizations want to thrive and you know carry out their activities, you know, drug company finding funding is something that they need to consider seriously. So we, we just need to be really realistic about that. And actually on that note we you know in our paper we wanted to shift the focus of attention around transparency, which has so far been almost exclusively actually on patient groups and how transparent they are. In our paper, we do we, we look at the other end, so the funders. And actually, the industry has got a lot more resources to, uh, to uh, put in place robust and easily accessible resources. Uh, so we are far from saying that, uh, you know, patient groups are... Um, intransparent. So we um, so we want to you know put put the focus of attention a bit more towards the, the other side. But on your question about astroturfing, so this is a very a very interesting phenomenon, and you know I've been interested in uh, in lobbying um, at, you know as a sociologist for a number of years now. So astroturfing, we can you know we can say it is a form of lobbying which involves using seemingly independent third parties to convey our points. So basically we put our words into their mouth so that we're not making these points ourselves and therefore these points might appear more credible and more independent from our agendas, which might be political or or, um, uh, commercial. So, you know, the, the whole, for example, Cambridge Analytica scandal or, you know, um, on, some ongoing concerns about the funding of certain uh, political parties are, you know, in some ways related to this uh, concept of astroturfing. So are the kind of the civil society voices that we hear, are they authentic or are they perhaps funded or driven by by some interests which are kind of staying in the background or preferring to stay in the background. And uh, it can only really flourish when there's a lack of transparency about 
um, what money's going to groups for and uh, and what it's being spent on. Uh, exactly, exactly. So, uh, but in the health field, the situation is actually m- much better than, for example, in the tobacco field, because it's much more difficult to engineer you know, astroturf organizations, so, you know, create patient groups from scratch to match a condition that a drug company has a, a drug for. I, I think that that's, that, you know, I, I've conducted some interviews with, with patient groups um, in Central Europe. You know, it's inconceivable almost. Actually, a vast majority of, of, of patient organizations that we discovered via our database were, you know, they had members, they had websites, they had volunteers, supporters, friends. So these are, you know, authentic groups. Uh, the, the concern that one might have is, you know, to what extent, given the scarcity of public funding, to what extent, you know, are they able to maintain their in- independence and actually uh, do the things that they would do naturally? Mm. You know, it, it is very tricky, and we we do sympathise with these concerns. And actually, we hope that uh, you know the our paper and you know the database that we created, and which what by the way we make publicly available, we hope that this will um, make things better without you know attributing any blame or um, just saying that you know there is anything improper going on. Uh, yeah, and obviously uh, that that's a. An, a an incredibly useful resource for people who are interested in looking at this uh, until that time in which we can make all of this uh, information much more available um, yes. to a statutory level. Yeah, that, that, that would be great. And actually, um, if I may refer back to the Disclosure UK database, which covers payments to healthcare professionals and organisations, it is a single database and actually... Uh, the ABPI should be praised for creating it because, to the best of our knowledge, the UK is the only European country which has such a unified database. But the problem with this database is that it does not have payment descriptions. What we have only is four very broad payment categories, such as uh, donations and grants, joint working, but we don't know anything about the actual purposes. And and this is very, this is very important. So even though the, the the payments made to patient groups are dispersed across a multitude of websites, one great thing about them is that they have these payment descriptions. So in a way, based on that, even though they are imperfect and, and there are differences between various companies, at least we can get a sense of what it is that was funded and this is a very valuable resource because this way we we were able to talk about you know these various payment goals that were funded by the industry. So you've just sort of started to sketch out the problem and and maybe some solutions. And uh, for anyone that's interested, uh, the article that you've written is now available on bmj.com, and I'll link from the podcast text so anyone will be able to go and have a look at that. Um, Peter. Thank you very much for spending some time talking to us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Duncan. That article, Exposing Drug Industry Funding of UK Patient Organisations, 
It's now available on bmj.com. And there are a couple of interesting rapid responses that you might want to have a look at. That's it for this podcast. But as always, I'm going to ask you to subscribe if you haven't done so. Later this week, we'll also be hearing about another industry's interface with health. But this time, the tech industry and the NHS. How can the two work more fruitfully together? So yes, if you're interested in that, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're also available on Spotify if that's how you listen. So until that next podcast, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.